You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days... A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Verse 4, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and lined him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, verse 8, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at the shepherd, what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is God's holy word. Please be seated. Well, all month long, all December long, we have been asking the question, who is Jesus? And we've been discovering some extraordinary answers to that question, primarily from Paul the Apostle as he pens Colossians chapter 1. Now, we're not in Colossians chapter 1 this morning, but essentially we've been asking Paul, the one who penned the letter to the Colossians, we've been asking him, Paul, who is Jesus? Who is this Christ child that we gather around in the manger? Who who is he? And this has been Paul's response. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. Paul says to us in answer to that question, he says, Jesus is God made flesh, God made visible. And Jesus ranks higher than any being on the face of the planet. He is light from light, God from God. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Furthermore, Paul goes on to say that that it is by Jesus that all things were created. All things in heaven and on earth 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, that all things were made through Jesus and all things were made for Jesus. And he is before all things. And in him, all things are held together. So, Paul, who is Jesus? He is the creator and the sustainer of the entire cosmos. And it is through Jesus that all of this is being held together. That's who he is. Paul continues. Paul goes on to answer the question. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. And then Paul says that it's in Jesus that all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul breaks out in worship and doxology as he answers the question, who is Jesus? He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning of God's new creation, and he is reconciling all things to himself through Jesus Christ. Everything funnels. In biblical history and human history, everything funnels down to this one person, Jesus Christ. And it's to Him we look this morning, and it's Him we celebrate on Christmas. Jesus is God in the flesh, creator and sustainer of everything. He's the head of His new creation, the church. And it is through Jesus that we have peace with God. Well, that's what we've covered so far in December. I want to end our Advent series this morning by looking at Luke's account, the account that we just read in Luke chapter 2. And my prayer is that as we look at Jesus' birth once again, and with everything now that we've learned in Colossians chapter 1 in the background, that we would join with the angels. We would join the choir of praise. We join with the angels, we join with the shepherds as we gain again an insight into who Jesus is. In Luke's account of Jesus' birth, the question, who is Jesus, is answered in three clear responses. If you're a note taker, these are gonna, this is going to be our roadmap this morning. Luke answers the question, who is Jesus, in three clear responses. Number one, Jesus is the promised king. He is the promised king. Number two, Jesus is the poor king. And finally, Jesus is the praised king. So first, Jesus is the promised king. Look at verse 1 again of Luke chapter 2. He is the promised king. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Now this is a diplomatic way to say that Rome is going to tax everybody it rules over. A registration is to send everyone back to their home of origin to be counted in order to be taxed. Rome, as you know, in the first century ruled most of the known world. And so this decree went out that the whole world would be registered for the sake of taxation. Verse 2, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And so, verse 3, all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, 
because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. The first thing we have to note as we move through this account of Luke is that Luke intends for us, the reader, to read this as a historical account. In those days, Luke says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was born in B.C., 63 B.C. He was the emperor of Rome until A.D. 14. If that were not specific enough, Luke says in verse 2 that this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So in short, Luke intends for us to understand that the birth of Christ is a historical event. Luke's account is not an account of a dream that he had one night, nor is this a mystical event detached from the sands of human history. No, instead, Luke is writing his account to be understood as an event that actually happened in time and in space, in those days. I've said this to you before, and I'm sure you've probably heard this as you've moved through Luke chapter 2 in the past, but what's more impressive, to me at least, more impressive than the historical accuracy of Luke chapter 2, is to watch God move so effortlessly in human history to accomplish His perfect will. Here's what I mean. Hundreds of years... Hundreds of years before the birth of Christ, God prophesied through the prophet Micah that the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would be born in Bethlehem. That is to say, the promised Messiah would be a promised king. And he would be born in the kingly city of David, a city called Bethlehem. But God creates a problem for himself. What's the problem? God decides to elect a young lady named Mary, who is from Nazareth, to carry the promised king. God could have, in his sovereignty, elected a woman named Mary from Bethlehem to carry the chosen king. But he doesn't. Instead, he chooses Mary, who is 90 miles away from Bethlehem. That's a two-week journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And so God creates a problem for himself. It would have been far easier, far more practical, again, to elect a gal from Bethlehem, but he doesn't. And the question for us this morning is why? Why doesn't God just be practical? Well, I believe that God did it to show you and me and the rest of the watching world who would gather around Luke chapter 2 Sunday after Sunday or Christmas after Christmas to show off how easy it is for him to move Caesar Augustus and the governor of Syria to accomplish his perfect will. I believe that God creates this problem for himself to show us how easy it is for him to move kings and kingdoms to bring his promised king into the world. As I read the Bible, I see a God who is more interested in showing off his power than his practicality. After all, the one who is to be born is called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It is only fitting, therefore, that God would display his power over earthly kings like Augustus and earthly governors like Quirinius to usher in his promised king. So who is Jesus? Who is he? 
He is the promised king of Israel, born in Bethlehem, the kingly city of David. He sits on David's throne, not just for a generation, but forever. The entire cosmos, the universe, is his kingly domain, and the earth is his footstool. Jesus is the promised king of glory, and he is above every king. Which makes the next statement so confusing, baffling. Who is Jesus? Point two, Jesus is the poor king. Look at verse six. And while they were there, the time came for her, that is Mary, to give birth. And she gave birth to her first, firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, that is a feeding trough for animals, laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now again, this is baffling. We just learned, we just read in the previous verses that Jesus is the promised King of Kings who has entered the world through a remarkable display of God's providence to move Augustus, to move governors, kings and kingdoms, to move Jesus from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and that there was no match for God in that providence in order to fulfill a seven-year-old, 700-year-old prophecy regarding the Messiah. And now Mary and Joseph arrive safely. The baby's not born yet. They arrive safely in Bethlehem just in time to give birth to the Christ child. And they get there to find out that all of the Airbnbs are full. There's no room. No room. Not even a spare room for the king of kings. The Caesar of Rome was no match for God. The governor of Syria was no match for God. But apparently there is a stubborn innkeeper in Bethlehem that is giving God a run for his money. So what's going on here? We ask the question, what's going on? Is that what's happening? Is God sort of stumped at the lack of room in Bethlehem? Of course not. If God wanted a room for Mary, you've heard this, he would have given her the finest of rooms. If God wanted a castle for Mary, a palace, he would have given her the finest of castles and palaces. God wanted Jesus to be born in poverty. God desired for his only begotten son to be born in filth because Jesus did not come, and he said this with his own mouth, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his very life as a ransom for many. 2 Corinthians 8.9, we read this at the beginning of our Advent series. 2 Corinthians 8.9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the grace of God? That though He, Jesus, was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty we might become rich. The very atmosphere of his birth communicates the purpose for why he came. He came 
putting aside his wealth, putting aside his glory, entered poverty so that in his poverty we might become rich. And this is not 401k rich. This is not um, wealth in that sense. But instead, Paul is talking about spiritual wealth, wealth that can never fade, wealth that can never be taken from you. And Paul can only think of one thing to describe what Christmas is all about. And he uses that word, grace. Grace. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, this is the message of Christmas. It is the message of God's grace to us. The promised king became a poor king so that in his poverty we might inherit a room in his father's house. Jesus later in John chapter 14 would say that very thing. He would say to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. And maybe you came in here this morning and everybody is smiling, but inside your heart is troubled. You've been troubled all year. You're especially troubled this morning. Listen to Jesus speaking to you. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to where I am, that where I am, you may be also. He came in poverty to serve. That through his poverty, we might inherit a place, not only at the Father's table, but a room in his home in heaven. So there he is. There he is. Jesus the Christ, born in filth. So that through him, we might become truly clean born in obscurity in order to give us his own inheritance. I've said this to you before, but do you see him there? That's one thing, isn't it? To appreciate, to observe Jesus the Christ in the manger. You can see him there, but it's a whole nother experience to see him there for you. If you see him there, you might just be an admirer of Christmas. You might get all of the nostalgic fuzzies and feelings and latte whatever's and, and whatever. That's fine. I love all of that stuff, believe me. But it's another thing entirely to see Jesus there for you. <clears throat> and so the question, if you're sitting there, okay, well, how do I do that? How do I not just see him there, but how do I see him there for me? The only way to see him there for you is if you believe without him you have no hope for rescue. Because he, that is Jesus, and he said this with his own mouth, he came for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Who know that they are spiritually bankrupt, that they cannot bring anything to barter with God, that apart from him they are hopeless and helpless. How do you not just become an admirer of Christmas, but a worshiper of the Christ? You recognize your need for him now and forever. 
And oh, beloved saints of God and friends and visitors, that is the greatest gift that God could give you is the gift of need for him. Everything else is born out of need for God. If you're looking for a flourishing life, happiness, joy, it starts with need for God. Everything else is born out of that. The greatest gift that God could give you is a need for him. That's how you see the Christ child for you. And if you see him there, if you see him there for you, what's the response? What do we do? If your heart is burning within you and you say, yes, I need him. I need him now as I've ever needed him. I need him now. What do you do? Well, I think Luke shows us, tells us that you join the choir of praise. You join the choir of praise. And so our last point this morning is Jesus, yes, he is the promised king. And he is the poor king that in his poverty we might become rich. But he is ultimately and finally the praised king. Look at verse 8. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now just stop there for just a moment. Uh, these are unimpressive vocations. Are, are we in agreement there? You're the graveyard shift for shepherding. And that's not going to be glorious in the 21st century, and that certainly was not glorious in the 1st century. Because in the 1st century, to be a graveyard uh, shift shepherd meant that you were outcasted by society. Everyone thought you were filthy and unclean. You had no table manners. Your actual body was unclean, and so you were pushed out of society. In addition to that, however, these shepherds would most likely not be able to worship in the temple. Why? Because they're always touching unclean and dead things. You're always touching unclean things as a shepherd. And so they were pushed out of society and they were pushed out of the temple where one would go to worship God. And so that's who sort of arrives on the scene in Luke chapter 2. Shepherds keeping watch over their flock by night. In other words... Nobodies. They're not important people. They have unimpressive vocations. And right in the middle of their ordinary shift, the heavens would open. And an unexpected announcement would come, followed by an eruption of praise. First, an unexpected announcement. Look at verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. To them. Who? The graveyard shepherds. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. Of course they were filled with great fear. Nothing like this happens to them. Nothing fun happens to graveyard shepherds. They were filled with great Fear And an angel, verse 10, said to them, Fear not, for behold, here's the declaration, I bring you good news, the gospel of great joy, that for all the people, that will be for all the people, and here's the good news. Verse 11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, 
claws and lying in a manger. Please note that the very first people on planet Earth to hear the very first proclamation of salvation through Jesus Christ are those that have no seat at anyone's table. Nobody's inviting them over for a Christmas meal. No cards are coming in the mail from family members and friends saying, Happy Holidays, Merry Christmas. And these are the ones that get the very first hearing of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Why did God do that? Does God do everything purposefully? Yes, he does. All of heaven broke open to announce the gospel. Not to a coliseum filled with doting fans. Not in the center of Athens or Corinth. But God opens to announce the gospel in a random field outside of Bethlehem to no-name shepherds who weren't allowed in the temple to worship. Here's what this means. That we must, you must, and maybe you're not a Christian here and someone drug you here because they said there's going to be refreshments and they promised you brunch after. I don't know why you're here. Maybe you're here for those reasons. But I want you to listen. That you must never therefore think if this is true, that you need to clean yourself up, that you need to be in a particular state of mind, or be a particular kind of person before you are ready to receive and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. These shepherds were not banking on the heavens to be opened. They were tending to filthy sheep. They were pushed out of society. I don't know where you're at this morning, but this text tells me and us that you do not need to be prepared for a religious experience. When God moves upon you, he moves upon you. All that we need to bring is our need for him. So there's an unexpected announcement and then there's an eruption of praise. Remember, he is the praised king. Look at verse 13. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. This is the first recorded flash mob in human history. A multitude of heavenly hosts, literally an innumerable amount of angels, break forth in praise. An innumerable, and for what audience? Shepherds at night. They're not at the Colosseum. Augustus is not even in the picture. He was moved as a pawn in God's perfect plan. There's no politicians, there's no celebrities. And all of heaven erupts with praise and the angels declare the glory of God. They are praising God for this newborn king. Because he's the one who promises peace. 
Pastor Hans talked about this last week, that irreconcilable difference, that, that chasm that was too far, a bridge that would not reach a holy God, a sinful humanity cannot reach a holy God. And, and the answer to that that the Bible gives is, you're right, sinful humanity cannot reach a holy God. But instead in Christ, the holy God has come to sinful humanity. Do you see that this is the Christmas story? It's not one of cleaning yourself up and being in a, in a state of mind to have some sort of spiritual experience because Christ was born. It is the arrival of hope. It is the arrival of the holy God to a sinful humanity in order to build a bridge to glory, to holiness, to true fulfillment, to be a whole person and to be cleansed of sin. Who is Jesus? Well, he is the king who must be praised. These angels cannot help themselves but to praise the king. He is the king who must be praised. And what do you do? What do you do when you see that this Christ child is there for you? You join the choir. You join the choir of praise. And that is exactly what these shepherds do. They don't go, oh, that's, that was interesting what just happened. Heaven closes back up. Let's get back to tending sheep. This is our shift after all. That's not what they do. Their lives are completely changed. Their hearts are bursting within them. They cannot wait to go see the Christ child. Look at verse 15 and following to the end. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. In, in common vernacular, they booked it. They ran as fast as they could and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. That is, they proclaimed the gospel. They are now not only the first ones to receive the gospel, the announcement of pardon for sins through Christ, but now they are the first ones to announce the gospel. Incredible. And all, verse six, or 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And what did the shepherds do? Verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, where did the shepherds return? This is just conjecture. I'm just, I, I don't know. I'm assuming they went back to their shift. But they went back to their shift changed men. They, they went back worshiping and praising God, which tells us a lot of things. And, and the first thing it tells us is you don't have to be at church to worship. They went back to work, which some of us will have to go first thing tomorrow morning. Sorry for that reminder. But we can leave here having joined the choir of praise into the cubicle, into the work, into the labors, into the monotony of life, changed people, worshiping and glorifying God for all that we have seen and heard. We don't have to wait till Easter to get all fired up about Jesus again. We can 
bring it right into our daily lives. So no matter who you are, no matter how unclean you may feel in this very moment, no matter how far away from God you may be, you might be tasting the alcohol on your breath from over-drinking just last night, and you're reminded that this should be no place for you. No matter who you are, where you've been, you can join the choir this morning. Jesus did not come for the well. He came for the sick, for the hurting, for the desperate. He came for those who are weighed down with past regret, for those dealing with unrelenting shame and guilt, harassment of shame and guilt because of a life lived. So who is Jesus? Who is he? He is the promise king. And he is the poor king. And he is the praised king. He is the king who must be praised. He is the creator and the sustainer of the universe. And it is through Jesus that all things are right now being held together. Jesus is the better Adam who brings about a new humanity. Jesus is the seed of the woman who has bruised the head of the serpent. Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is a better Moses who mediates a better covenant. He is a better temple. He is a better priest. And he is a better sacrifice. He is our water and bread in the wilderness of life. Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us beside still waters. Jesus is our protection because he is our protector. Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the Messiah. He is the son of David. And he is the suffering servant. Jesus, in short, is absolutely everything you and I need in this life and in the life to come. He is the center of our delight and affections. He is the apex, Jesus is, of reason and wisdom. He is the way and the truth and the life. He loves and he is love. He bore our sin and he bore our shame. He suffered once for all, but he is no victim. He is the victor. Jesus is raised to life. He didn't cheat death. He defeated death. He is the raised king. That is why he is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He came once and he's coming again. As sure as that first coming was a historical event, the church can be lifted up to the heavens because he is coming again. And it is through Jesus that we utter our amen to God. It is through Jesus that we praise the Father. Who is Jesus? He is Christ the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we celebrate the gift of your Son, the payment of our sin in his atoning life and in his glorious resurrection. And it is through you, Jesus, right now that we want to utter our amen to God. We want to join the choir of praise. And I pray specifically for those who feel far from God. 
either hardened from sin or have never come to repent of sin and to trust in the work of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would burn in their hearts an amen, a praise, a celebration of this King of glory. I pray that you would do that for them and for all of us, that we would be nourished, Lord, as we give our praise to this King of glory. We pray this now in Jesus' good name.